0: Heavenly Father, again, we thank you that we have access. We have not only access of a sort, but we have free and open access, More, even more than that. You've requested us to come, and not only that, but to come boldly. And not only that, but to come boldly to the throne, and even more, the throne of grace. Oh, what a blessing to know you're... Arms are wide open to receive us when we come in prayer. And so, Father, we come in prayer knowing uh, the fullness, knowing the sufficiency of your grace because you've revealed it to us in your word. Uh, we pray that we comprehend it far better than we have. And that the glories that are heavenly are that are already ours, would be fully received, always. That's our desire, Heavenly Father. So thank you for gathering us today and blessing us in this fellowship. Thank you for your word that's set before us from the Apostle Paul. Pray that we might enjoy it this morning greatly. That you'd open our hearts and minds to it, and that you would enable us to receive it, and then to be witnesses to testify it to others as you give us opportunity we pray for opportunities father that we might each have those opportunities and not only have them but know that we have them and to be willing to walk through the open doors that you provide all of us have those opportunities father wherever we are sometimes in places unexpected like at the market, or in a restaurant, or wherever you choose to intersect with our lives in that way. So we just thank you, Father, for all those opportunities. I pray, Father, after thanking you for all things and for the many blessings that we have, such as the internet to give us access to truth in ways beyond our ability otherwise, We praise you, Father, that we still have a limited liberty here in this land, governmentally speaking. We always have the liberty in our hearts, but uh, we still have some left. It's not all been stolen away. We thank you for opportunities to do uh, new things and different things and to enjoy what you've provided. We thank you, Father, for. The opportunity to share in Bible studies, certainly we thank you for those opportunities. So, Father, we look forward now to see how you'll work. Our nation is so bent on a course of destruction, but we know that you can intersect with that on the larger scale and also the smaller scales, which is even more important because the health of the nation is indeed made up of the health of its citizens. So, uh, Father, I just commit our nation to you and those that guide and lead it and that those that stand for truth might know your truth, most importantly, and might therefore reflect it in every decision made, every action done, that uh, our nation might be brought back on a course that would honor you, Father, from having gone so far astray. So, Father, we just look forward to see how you will work now and uh, we look forward to the blessing of your word and, uh, and may we enjoy it greatly praying in christ's name and amen well our blessings today continue they're blessings to be gained every day in paul's word but oh here in the letter to the romans and, as we continue on with our studies here of Paul's letter to the Romans dispensationally considered, pray that that word dispensational would now be gaining a lot of understanding by each one because it's certainly an important word indeed, and Paul uses it the others don't Paul does because of the emphasis that, that he had as the Apostle of the Gentiles, and as the one bringing the fullness of grace, Israel, having been set aside, and uh, what a difference that brought into the lives of believers, and uh, that's what we're learning about here, how God is working today under grace. Last time we looked at the reckoning that counts, and. Uh, and especially there are those verses that ended with verse 13 of Romans chapter 6. You remember that section reaches a pivotal turning point, really in chapter 6, verse 11. You'll remember these words since we've emphasized them so often. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that's uh, where Paul gets after having very powerfully taught in the earlier verses how God sees us and then exhorted us in those earlier verses to see ourselves the same way that he sees us. And in some ways, that's the challenge of the Christian life. The challenge of the Christian life, if we consider it in its fullness, is not to become more and more like Christ in his earthly life. In fact, if that's what you're seeking, you will fail miserably every day because the Lord God's not giving that enabling today. He did before, but not today. But today he is exhorting us and empowering us by the word of his grace. And uh, that's where we stand in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. So. In Christ really does take on a very special significance for the Apostle Paul. and He also uses the other phrasing, in Jesus, or uh, in Jesus Christ, but mostly in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, in his letters. So, in those earlier verses there that that lead up to verse 11, this is what Paul wrote, and this is really... uh, so critical to understand, because it sets the stage for everything. If we understand what the Lord is doing today, it sure makes a difference. Otherwise, we'll be trying, seeking, endeavoring to do what we can't do, because it can only be done by the Lord, right? And that's never the way to peace and rest, and there's no victory in that. It just encourages the flesh because uh, Paul wrote so strongly. And when we get to chapter 7, beginning next time, Lord willing, we'll see how powerful the flesh is as the apostle understands it and how the flesh operates in every believer if the flesh is given the liberty. But in verses 9 and 10, he states it this way. He speaks first about knowledge. He's already written about it here. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Remember, he came into the world to bear the sin of the world and to die for our sins. So uh, that's been accomplished. He's been raised from the dead and he dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Now, you might have thought that death never had a dominion over him. Oh, not true. Once our sins were placed upon him, that was the consequence, okay? And that's the reason why he died. He didn't die for any other reason. He gave himself over to the redemptive plan of God. So our sins brought his death at his command, willingly, submitting to the plan of God for his sacrificial death, okay? So, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. In other words, now that he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. He died unto sin once, only once, once for all. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto god and so in the realm where christ is currently his reference his and his work is not in reference to our sin and sins that's been accomplished once and for all already okay now he's living in a realm where it's our blessing rather by grace Uh, that's his focus you understand this? This is so critically important. And as I said last time, for years and years, oh well, decades really, read these verses, kind of skipped over them, thinking, well, that's we know that, yeah, he died, now he's alive, uh, without uh, seeing how it fit into how that teaching fit into the the teaching of this chapter. But he says, knowing, okay, very critical to know, and that brings us then down to verse uh, eleven where he says, in verse 11, likewise. <laughs> in other words, like as Christ, who is now in the heavenlies, is living, you should be living. So you should be taking his view of you as, and and of your life as your own. We might think as he thinks. You remember uh, Paul in Philippians said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, how he went through death in order to experience resurrection. And now our states of mind ought to be compatible and consistent with his. So, so very, very important. This is how grace works. And so in verse 11 he, reck- he reckons, <laughs> he reckons, yes, indeed. He reckons and he wants us to reckon upon the truth of that. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So our connection to Adam's sin has been broken. And that gives us a power that otherwise one could not have. It gives us a liberty. And last time we emphasized that liberty, and today we'll do the same because Paul continues on the same subject in the rest of the chapter. Repetition, he believes, is very, very important. And let's just get right into that and see what he says. He's just said we should reckon upon the truth stated um, that the death has already been accomplished in Christ, right? And also the resurrection. And so now we are where we could never have been before, free, set free from that bondage. We were slaved before, and now we are free in Christ Jesus. Oh my, what a what a lesson that is! So, liberty is the uh, keynote theme of the section and of the chapter. <clears throat> Excuse me, had to clear my voice a little there. Maybe a little tea would help. Okay, so that brings us down to where I want to be today. Uh, verse fourteen. I'll read it, and then we'll start. I'll give out the uh, the outline in a moment. But Romans 6.14 will be key. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Oh, my. Okay, the outline for today. Well, first of all, our title is a question. comes right out of these verses. Will we be slaves to sin and death? or to obedience and righteousness? Or to put it in a different way, will we be slaves to sin or to obedience, to death or to righteousness and life? That's the title. Now the outline. The first point. The logic of grace is foundational in practical living as well as in salvation. The logic of grace is foundational in practical living as well as in salvation. Secondly, though we are blessed by grace, the weakness of the flesh remains. We're blessed by grace indeed, but our flesh remains and gives us a constant threat thirdly freedom from righteousness freedom from righteousness was once our constant condition oh my that's the way paul writes of it here freedom from righteousness was once our constant condition and then fourthly freedom from sin is now our constant blessing <laughs> so we have gone from Liberty in two ways. One, liberty from righteousness because we were slaves to, to sin before our salvation. Now, liberty from sin because now we are in Christ Jesus, our constant blessing. Those are the four points today. And so we begin with the logic Of grace and this is divine logic i keep emphasizing that because this is how god thinks and he he's a very logically minded uh person is he not and paul is matching the mind of of the lord with his own and writing it down with the help of the holy spirit so that it's written down correctly and powerfully and perfectly so the logic of grace is foundational in practical living as well as in salvation. And one actually is going to lead to the other. He writes, Linda, I'd like you to start our readings by reading Romans 6, verses 14 and 15, please.
1: For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law? but under grace, God forbid.
0: Thank you, Linda. Paul continues, therefore, the same teaching as in the earlier section, but he's going to repeat it with a somewhat different emphasis now to further strengthen his exhortations. Apparently, he expected that there were many opponents who would read the letter and uh, misunderstand it or willingly uh, pervert its teaching, And they were there then, and there would be more in future times. And therefore, he begins the section here with the word for. In other words, let me give you more of a foundation for what we've already taught because of uh, the um, opponents to grace and what they will be teaching. Indeed, already were. And so he's not really repeating himself from verse one. Remember, verse one said in verse one, chapter six, said that we shouldn't uh, continue abiding with sin. We shouldn't settle down and feel at home with it as if it's uh, a part of life not to be concerned with at all because grace abounds uh, through our sin. Well, that's. He said, God forbid, back there, too, didn't he? He said, may it never, never be be so. Uh, that's not divine logic. That's uh, the logic of Satan, right? <clears throat> uh, but um, that is what many might come to believe. But the emphasis here in verse 14 is somewhat different. It, it, it's the same subject, somewhat different emphasis in verse 14 here. So what is the emphasis here? It seems to me that what he is saying is that since we are not under law, many might say, why not just commit acts of sin then when the opportunity arises and it seems convenient because after all, we have to live in the world and be of it, so let's just, uh, you know, maybe not of it totally, but to some degree, okay. So they basically accept the teaching of grace having been saved and uh, and changed by that. But now uh, it's just more convenient to uh, go along with the others and uh, fall short, therefore, of what God really has and his blessings that are just waiting to be received, okay? So the difference there is somewhat significant between what he's going to write here and what he's written earlier. In the first case, when, you know, early in the chapter, he says somebody might choose to live just as before he was saved and just leave it at that with no further consideration since sin magnifies the depth of God's abundant grace. Right? That would be a great, great theological failure, wouldn't it? Made real in one's life. It would be Uh, Certainly, living a life that would never uh, in any way glorify the Lord. In fact, a sinner, unsaved, could look better than a a believer who is uh, living like that, right? Oh, my goodness. But in the second case here, he's saying, having been set free from the bondage of sin, we may now think, okay, well, we're going to live under grace and... God therefore is passing over our sins, so we might just uh, sin as opportunity presents itself, even though we know that's not really the best course for us. And I think that's a very, very common view. And in fact, I think it's pretty much everywhere where people believe that since they're still under a law, they have to try to keep it, but they never succeed. And they think that's okay because all they have to do is repent and confess and they will be okay. And then they can go on for a while more. And you just hear this constantly in prayers and in exhortations too. And some teachers are teaching that as uh, their main uh, doctrine um, of how to live the Christian life. But that's, uh, of course, not the right viewpoint. And Paul says, God forbid, in reference to that view as well. And it brings us to the second point here. Though we are blessed by grace, the weakness of the flesh remains. So for our reading there, Brenda, Brenda, would you please read verses 16 through 19 for
1: us? Know ye not I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness.
0: Certainly we can say amen to that. Thank you, Brenda. So what is he saying here? He's saying there's a constant presence that tends towards sin in every believer, and that is an indwelling nature of sin. And uh, everyone has to agree to this. If they don't, they are uh, truly ignorant indeed. But he says there's an alternative. And he strongly exhorts us all based upon that alternative. What is that alternative? It is that we have already been set free from the power and dominion of sin. And so in verse 17, he says, regarding those that he's writing to, he says, may God be thanked that you were, see that past tense, you were the servants of sin, in other words, before they were saved, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. So they willingly received the truth concerning liberty, right? They willingly received it when they became believers. And then he says, being then made free from sin, so you were transformed then, made free from sin, and became the bond slaves of righteousness uh, instead of the slaves to sin. See that? Oh, my. And then he says, well, I hate to talk like this. It seems so negative to talk like this, but apparently he had good reason to believe that there were some who would read this letter who were already uh, gone astray from their first faith, and they now had turned themselves over again to bondage of the flesh. So he says... I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, to lawlessness, unto lawlessness. One le- leads to even more, right? Even so, now yield or present your members' servants' to righteousness unto holiness. So they have the liberty. If only they would uh, yield themselves over to it and receive it fully by faith. They have it. And so that's Paul's teaching here. He says, you live in the realm of liberty. Now, I think his exhortation here is especially powerful. uh, And the reason why is simple enough. They had gained so much as they had entered into liberty, you see. They had gained so very, very much. And Paul is going to continue in the next couple of verses with the same thought. Uh, He's not finished with the same thought yet. He wants to go on with it. So we'll say more then. But to yield back what they already had gained. I mean, think about this. They knew if they thought back how the Lord had delivered them from evil by their faith and their salvation. They knew how much they had given away for the new liberty that they had received, right? They had received something so valuable. Why tarnish the memory of it and the reality of it by turning back to sin and its bondage so let's leave it at that and go on to the third point here because he's going to continue in the same thought exactly third point freedom from righteousness was once our constant condition he doesn't want anyone any believer to forget the way we were before and so for reading of that, Patty, would you please read for us verses 20 and 21?
1: For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death.
0: Thank you. So he's reminding them. He says, you were slaves. In other words, you didn't have any liberty. You didn't have any liberty. You were bound by it in the realm of sin and death. That's where you lived. And everything you did was attempt to try to cover that up and to have hope when really all you had was hopelessness. But he says, when you were the slaves of sin, you were free from righteousness. Isn't that interesting language? I love the way he contrasts so boldly these two extremes right slaves to sin on the one hand liberty from righteousness not too they had no liberty too because they were slaves to sin and that's the realm of the unsaved they may look good they may try to be good they may be very religious and we may have been that way ourselves before but The truth was quite otherwise. And when we heard the gospel, uh, the Lord God uh, uh, gave us uh, understanding because he removed the blindness that was on our hearts and we believed and were saved. Praise the Lord for his intersecting with our lives, right? I hope you remember the day. If you don't, that's okay. But sometimes when some are saved when they're very young, they don't remember the day. So be it. Then start a new day when you know it so well, right? And so, then he says in verse 21, Remember, you didn't have any fruit. Fruit is something good. People love to eat fruit. Not bad. It's a blessing in this life, right? So, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And and everyone knew that uh, the death ultimately to come was being foreshadowed because there was no blessing, as he calls it here, fruit, in living in that way. And so what Paul is doing here is saying liberty is the keynote concept here in our teaching today. Either way, liberty... From righteousness, which you had before, when you were bound bound to sin, or liberty from sin, which you have now, as you're bound as slaves to righteousness. Liberty is a powerful concept, and we all know something about our nation's history. And there was a there was a meeting. There was a meeting. Uh, where many were gathered, George Washington was there, and also Thomas Jefferson was there in 1775. And the problem was the military might of Britain was so great, many were losing their confidence that there ever could be liberty again in the New World, in, this, uh, in these uh, colonies. And they were in bondage, and many wanted to say, well, let's just accept the bondage and try to bear up with it. Give us a little peace now, because otherwise it's war, and we will be not the victors, but the uh, the defeated. And yet, a man named Patrick Henry stood up and gave a remarkable speech. You should read the, at least that famous paragraph, where he said there these words. And I'm sure he said them with a loud voice. Give me liberty or give me death. So liberty made the difference there. They decided to go ahead. And, and what did they do? They decided this was in Virginia. They decided to create a militia, independent of the British, separate from then, designed to wage war. They knew that the effect of this would be a war with Britain because it would be, in effect, a declaration of war by the Virginia colony. And that's what happened. And one cry for liberty led to another. And finally, we had the War of Independence. So Paul is... Uh, using the same theme. I wonder whether some of them that day had been reading Romans chapter (laughs) 6. Perhaps. Okay, so before we were not free regarding righteousness, now we are. Uh, We have every advantage now. The riches of God's abundant grace are poured out upon us, including the enablers of the new nature and the Holy Spirit, right? They are always ours. They will never be taken away. And so we have every advantage now compared to when we were in bondage as sin's slaves. And so the power of his exhortation sort of comes down to this, as I see it. Why treat the great gift of God with such disrespect? Christ died for our liberty. He died for your liberty and mine. Don't we remember that? And that's the power of his uh, exhortation here. It's a proper ending point, brings us to the end of the chapter and uh, uh, our theme there in this final concluding. Two verses is simple enough. Freedom from sin is now our constant blessing. And Lydia, I'd like you to read for us Romans chapter 6, verses 22
1: and 23. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto unto holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord
0: thank you lydia now those are wonderful words and in my heart when i hear those words or read them uh, an amen comes forth it probably does in yours too but let's not forget the structure of the teaching here Verse 14 began this section. These verses concluded. Really the same subject in both places, but uh, just for your memory, (laughs) verse 14 reads like this. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. It's a future tense. He's saying sin is not going to dominate you. You are a believer. You have the blessings of God poured out upon you. It has already made the great difference. You've been translated out of one realm into another. Okay, you may, for a moment, turn away but the power of god rests upon you and will be tugging you back right uh, and and you're not under law but under grace <laughs> and and that's sort of the um, you know the the summarizing statement that uh, dominates throughout uh, this letter right notice um the words here Lewis mentioned earlier about how tenses and moods and so forth make a difference, right? And here we have indicative, um, and uh, we have uh, the tenses that speak of present reality, okay? Uh, Ongoing fact is being stated here. It's true of every believer. Not just of mature ones. He's he's stating a truth that's true of us all, otherwise it wouldn't be an exhortation for all, properly speaking. So he says, but now being made free from sin, and what, having become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Okay? This is what's happening in believers today, even if they turn away for a time, right? And then he he concludes, after stating the facts, he summarizes it with these words. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So all things relating to sin are being cleansed entirely one step at a time and eventually they will be taken out of the realm of living for all those who are saved there'll be no more temptations there'll be no more uh, sin there'll be no more disobedience only righteousness and that will eventually be brought even to this earth and it certainly, it will be true in the heavens right always and is today, right? So, that's uh, the summarizing statement. Uh, And if we don't know what's true for us as believers, then we don't know how God is working today, right? And we will be giving ourselves over to the power of sin that still dwells within us, even though we are already standing on a, heavenly plateau, the plateau of liberty. We're firmly planted on the high plane of God's abundant grace, and we're surrounded by the high peaks of grace just waiting to be known even more fully as we live here so surrounded with constant reminders that the apostle simply cannot with He has to keep writing about it, doesn't he? Praise the Lord for our benefit and glory, ultimately. Oh, my. Well, what can I say in conclusion? I think not much needs to be said. His emphasis is on what the Lord God has done and what he's doing today and what our response is. To that should be. It is that simple. Now there are many ways that we can fail, of course, mind, body, and spirit, right? And we all know very much about that. That's a very large and multifaceted subject. But first of all, if we just don't take the word of God to heart, then we won't even know what Paul has said earlier is. Critical. We must know what has already been accomplished through the shed blood of Christ and by his death for our sin and sins. If we do not know that, then we cannot understand what he has accomplished and what his resurrection means. His resurrection means that now his righteousness is available. To anyone who would believe and applied in fact to our accounts when we do right and so we will fall short of the blessings that he's outlined here if we don't know if we don't reckon and if we don't then present ourselves as living in this new and heavenly realm oh my So reckoning upon the divinely revealed truth is a requirement, indeed, for believers. It's the prerequisite for living on that higher, that heavenly plane with Christ Jesus. Praise God for his wondrous grace and this truth that is so liberating. Amen. Well. Praise God, we've been gathered here today to hear these words, and I hope my words have properly represented and reflected uh, Paul's and the Lord's this morning. And uh, are there any uh, comments or questions uh, before we close in prayer today
1: Hi Jim, this is Lewis. Uh, just thank you for sharing the passage with us logically and emotionally. And one of the things I'd like to bring up quickly is the real sense of burden of sin. Uh, I think as believers, we understand that uh, probably to various degree, but eventually it's that burden, that hurt, really can drive us to the light. Uh, through the revelation of the word, uh, if we don't see the sin as something serious, we probably won't see grace as serious either. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I just want to bring this up quickly. Yeah.
0: Well, in fact, it's it's understanding grace that reveals the depth of our sin. I mean, that's what Paul writes, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's the means that God uses. That's the kind of teaching we must have. So if we're surrounded by those that are focused on Sin as something more minimal that you easily deal with that. All you have to do is go through this religious system of, of works. You know, that's to minimize sin altogether, isn't it? So you know, sin took Christ to the cross. That was the whole essence of the redemptive plan of God. That's why Christ came into the world. Any other comments today before we close? Okay, let's uh, thank the Lord. Father God, again, uh, we stand in awe, Father, of the glorious realm that you've now brought us into. And uh, we're learning more and more every day uh, as we're surrounded by these teachings. And uh, they're not only available, but they're uh, readily available to all. If only they would open the truth of your word, or they don't even today even need to have the the printed page to do that. We have other means. So, Father, I thank you, though, that it is through word of mouth that many are saved, perhaps most, and it's still true today as those that have a testimony share with others. So, Father, I pray that you give us opportunities to share this precious truth with others, that we wouldn't be uh, silenced by the thought that they might reject the truth and uh, maybe reject us also <laughs> as a result of what we've shared. But, Father, that we might have, with kindness and uh grace, the ability to share with others what you've taught us. It's been such a blessing to us. May it be a blessing to them, too. May we be uh, those that have a song to sing, as it were, heralding forth the word of life that others might be blessed as we have. So, Father, please uh, continue to work in this mighty way as your word goes forth throughout the world not coming ever back void but uh, bringing uh, the harvest with it and we would thank you heavenly father in in christ's name and amen